Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast, connecting you to the leading minds in home improvement to discuss all things marketing and leadership. And now, your host, Kyle Powers. Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Powers. And today's guest is going to be making her second appearance on the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. She has a long history of being in the home improvement industry when it comes to marketing, sales, and lead generation. And she's going to be discussing the truths that remain the same whether you're a large company or a small company, and also what the pros and cons of being each size and what that can mean to your marketing. She's a fellow consultant with me at Tony Hody Training and Consulting and recently started running a fencing company with her husband. I'd like to welcome to the show, Megan Beatty. Hello, Megan. Hi, Kyle. How you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing well also. Hey, I'm really excited to have you on the show today and, and talk about what I think is going to be a, a really great topic. And that is really essentially the universal truths, but also some of the differences of a big company with a big budget generating leads down to a brand new startup and what it looks like to generate leads there. What are the similarities? What are the differences? And hey, I know you're going to give out a few tips, you know, if you're new and just getting started, where to start and, and build that baseline foundation for marketing mm -hmm. um, and just have an overall conversation from big to small, the things, you know, the similarities and the, and the differences. But before we really get into that, uh, could you maybe give the listeners who maybe don't know who you are a little bit of background on, uh, you know, your history in this industry and where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been uh, involved in the home improvement industry in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, for many years since I was 18 and worked at my first window company. Um, but I've had a lot of experience in appointment settings specifically over the past um, going on 20 years now. Um, so I wound up at a company uh, for 10 years, which I just left, uh, as you know, this year in February. I was at a window siding and roofing company in West Michigan. Uh, great family-owned business, takes great care of their customers. Um, and I was there for 10 years. So really, um, I was able to really be blessed with the experience of uh, you know, moving with that company from a very small you know, net sale amount where we were doing one and a half to two million a year um, when I got there, and then when I left, uh, they're gonna they'll net probably sixteen, seventeen million this year. So, um, you know, I've I've been a part of that for a very long time, and so this last February, due to you know schedule and some family changes, I had to free up some of my time, and I actually uh, parted ways there. Um, my husband, however, owns a fence company. So what we've been really focusing on is really growing our fence company um, while we're, you know, spending more time with our kids at home and whatnot. Um, and then also I am a consultant, obviously, at Tony Hody Consulting. So I have several clients I work with all over the country, helping them with their lead generation efforts as well. And so certainly uh, I feel an expert voice to be able to talk about, uh, you know, on all scales of business, you know, what works, what don't work and, you know, what you should be focused on. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think first, maybe let's talk about the principles that run true on, on both on that small company and that large company when it comes to lead generation. Yeah, I mean, there's a few universal truths that I think um, are important to keep in mind, no matter what size company you have. And 
you know, the most important one that I can see from all aspects of the business, and especially from a small company, uh, is really the speed to lead. You know, uh, we live in a society that's very based on instant gratification. And, you know, long story short, the internet has really been a blessing and a curse in that over the past, you know, a few decades. And so people are used to getting what they want when they want it. And so um, when people are online searching for something and they're, you know, clicking around on your website or they're on, you know, one of the lead aggravators websites and they, uh, you know, put their little name and number in, that's the time that they're shopping. And so we need to be able to get to that person as quickly as possible while they're still in the mindset of, hey, I'm looking at this specific thing for my home and I'd like to get more information. Um, You know, as well as I do that, you know, with Amazon and everything else that's out there that's really promoting this whole, you know, instant gratification thing, we have to be right on top of it before the next advertisement shows up in our customer's face and they forget all about us. So the speed to lead has been huge on that. Um, I would also say speed to lead in other areas, service, install, keeping your customers in the loop of what's going on at all times. Most online complaints I see, whether that's, you know, for my company or many of my clients, when we get negative reviews or complaints, it's almost always geared around communication. So, um, you know, being being first and over communicating with our customers is really so key. So speed to lead in all areas, you know, not just with leads, but getting out there as soon as possible to give them a quote and then getting that quote to them. If you're there, if you can, while well, you're already there, but if not getting it to them right away, as you promised, you know, the customer has a lot of choices nowadays to choose for their home improvement needs. And it's important that we really set ourselves apart with a better experience from day one. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that looks a little differently on setting yourself apart, you know, when you're small and big, but uh, just talking about, you know, the first point, the speed to lead. Um, obviously, when the bigger you get, the more people you have to handle, you know, an inbound lead that comes in at, you know, Saturday at four in the afternoon, you know, do you have mm-hmm. Saturday callers? Do you have someone over the weekend that's scheduled that, hey, anytime an inbound lead call, you know, comes in, we need to get right on it uh, and get going. Because like you said, there's so many other people out there that will get to it before you if you don't, mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. you know, and for the, the small guy that, you know, is that one to $2 million company that might be just them and maybe an office person. And then you got the crews, um, you know, them getting to that lead quickly, sometimes I think they don't see it as those big companies do. And I, I agree with you that they really need to. I have a friend that um, uh, that I've known for a long time. He has a, an awesome um, decking and, and pool company, you know, but he's really a one-man show except his crews. Uh, and, you know, he was telling me that, uh, you know, some of the online league aggregators, you know, like a home advisor, Quinn Street type, uh, you know, were really, you know, calling him and trying to sell him a lot that, Hey, you should get these leads. We don't have anyone in your area. And he, he really wanted to do it. And I straight out said, I have one thing to say about that. Um, I think you could do well with them. However, if you cannot call them within a minute of getting them, forget about it. Correct. 
Yeah, it's a waste of money. And, and, you know, I, it's funny that you bring that up because I'm in a lot of contractors groups on social media and online, and it's the number one complaint, all of them. What do you think of home advisor? Or they have a question. And, and the reality is, is that you'll then have 800 comments underneath about how these lead aggravators are so terrible. When the reality is, is some of them are terrible. You're not always going to get a hundred percent great leads. I mean, if I could figure that out and how to do that, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. I'd be on an Island somewhere. Yeah. Right. right? But, um, you know, when it comes to these lead aggravators, if we're not handling the lead in the first 60 seconds, we can't possibly expect to even get our, the return on our investment. And so uh, that's the same advice I give people as well. If you're not equipped to field the lead immediately, it is a waste of time and it's a waste of money and I, I wouldn't do it. Um, and, you know, and then on the other hand, we have to really look at ourselves and say, you know, if I do invest in these lead, lead aggravators, um, do I have the infrastructure in place not only to field the lead, but to manage it? You know, there's a certain amount of credits you can get if leads aren't qualified, um, but you have to stay on top of it. And someone has to be paying attention all the time. And you know, as well as I do, that sometimes uh, companies would rather be a little more hands off where they don't want to have to chase the lead and credit the lead and, and, and kind of do the footwork. And so, um, you know, that steered a lot of people away from the lead aggravator um, type of lead source. So, um, but, you know, if you can't, if you can't manage the lead or, or field it properly, it's best to look somewhere else for a, for a lead source that will work with, with your culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also easier when you're smaller, the kind of the second part to what you were talking about there on the speed to lead. Uh, mm -hmm. It's easier to set yourself apart differently, I think, when um, you know the business is so close. And what I mean by that is maybe there's one salesperson or you, the owner, is the salesperson to be able to go out and share that story with consumers and have the energy and passion, uh, you know, from the marketing. Cause a, lo a lot of times in those small companies, uh, and I'm sure it's, it's true in, in your fence business, right? You're the one answering the phone. You're the one setting the lead. You're the run running the lead, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe you have someone else installing it, but that's, you know, you're, you're all steps there. And so it's, it's easy to, have what I like to call the ease, right? That energy and enthusiasm and, and, and everything behind it because it's it's your business. It's emotion. It's, you know, really close to you. Whereas when you get into, you know, some of the bigger companies, um, you know, it's creating that culture where everyone has that is super hard, right? Absolutely. And so what uh, what is some of that that you kind of see between, you know, your two experiences of growing into a very large organization and then you know, coming down to, to your own? Well, the very first thing I had to do, because, you know, you have to really look and, and sort of think from beginning to the end. If I don't have leads and I don't have appointments on the schedule to go out and, and bid or estimate, I mean, I don't have anything. So the first thing I did once my husband and I started going at this full time was I hired someone to answer phones and do, to do speed to lead. Um, and that has been probably the best you know, investment as of yet, you know, that had to be first though, because I can't run leads and field leads and, uh, you know, do job checks and ordering materials. Like it has, you have to be able to, um, sort of delegate those tasks to someone who maybe does it better than you, you know, um, my husband is not real detail oriented. So having him order jobs is not the best use of his skill set. He can build websites and do SEO 
you know, standing on his head, however. So we try and spend his time in that area. And then we try and hire out the areas we know we can hire someone for that, um, you know, would do a better job and free up some of our time. Um, one of the things uh, Brian Kay always talks about in that book he has, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor, is as an owner, you really have to look at your high payoff versus your low payoff activities. You know, um, Yeah, I can run a lead and I can sell a lead, but if I can hire someone and have them out doing it, that frees up my time to grow the business. So it's really putting in order of priorities exactly what you have to do in order to grow the business. And for us, the first thing was have someone else other than myself you know, fielding the leads. And then the secondary piece was getting a salesperson in place, which we do have now. Um, but for a while, it was Dan and I doing everything. We could handle that up to about, we were doing about 100, 120,000 a month doing it by ourselves and then just having someone else install. Um, but that will not get us to the next piece. So we knew we had to, to delegate some tasks outward. Yeah, that's really, uh, it's interesting that you say that dollar amount is where you could kind of handle your, you know, for the two of you, but then getting past that, you needed extra people. And that's mm -hmm. pretty much what I've seen uh, is about a million dollars a year is what someone can effectively manage themselves and run and do. And anything past that, they really need additional, you know, office staff, sales staff, production staff, whatever it might be. Um, you know, to, to get, and I think you brought up a lot of great points in, uh, that little talk you had about that, uh, mainly being the knowing your strength zones. And I think as that grows out of, from a small business into a very large business, you know, when it's small, it's the owner needing to realize, right, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are that they need to hire out for. Uh, because when you mention all those things, right, answering the phone, you know, running the lead, you know, managing the installation, managing the rest of the marketing, you know, all of us are going to have our strengths and weaknesses. Even if we're a phenomenal person, there's going to be something in there that we're not good at. And usually if we're not good at something, we don't like it. And we tend to Correct. procrastinate and not do. And then eventually what just happens is it just doesn't get done. Uh, Correct. You know, it gets overall. put on the back burner until it hurts bad enough and then you fix it. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> and so I think, um, but what, I, what I've found now to scale that into those larger companies is uh, a lot of, you know, the managers, right? Same thing for them when their department gets large. There is tasks and things they need to do, some of which they're phenomenal at and some that they struggle on. And I think for that larger company, it's finding out with each of your managers, what do they need help with? You know, does it make sense to bring on a, you know, entry level assistant for them to maybe handle, for instance, myself, you know, when I was at Tunderland, when it got into more of the, uh, you know, the writing and the, you know, the uh, it, payroll, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I could do, but it was not my strength zone. And it took me a long time. Um, mm -hmm. that kind of Same. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, was bringing in a, you know, 12, $15 an hour person to handle that, uh, you know, to free up my time, which is to go out and teach people how to generate leads. Right. Uh, it was a much better use of the time. So, I think on each of those levels, uh, and correct me if, you know, if I'm wrong or if you think, you know, it runs true is that in the beginning, it's the owner. And a lot of times they don't want to let go of that control. Um, and I've seen it in a few companies now that I've been in as they grew that when the owner was able to kind of give up that control and allow other people to flourish and, you know, and things like that uh, is when their businesses really took off. Oh, absolutely. Only every time. Um, 
you know, I, I've listened, you know, I'm really big into motivational things and affirmations and, and whatnot. And I don't remember who it was, but they said, you know, the smartest thing I ever did was hire people that were smarter than me. Yeah. And, and that's it. You know, uh, the crews I have install fence way better than I would if I was out there with a, a post hole digger and an auger trying to dig a hole. I'd like to see that. But, uh, I, I'm sure you would and you won't, but yeah, you would like to see that, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> but no, exactly. You have to delegate, uh, you know, what, what, do, what can only you do? And that was really something I learned from a mindset coach that you and I have both had over the years, uh, Matt De La Cruz. One of the things he always would encourage me to think about is what can only you do? And then I would have a task list of three to four things that only I can do. And then underneath it, I would also have a task list of things that I, I could probably do best, but in all reality, someone else could do those things. Um, and really prioritizing your tasks that way. Because as an owner, I mean, most people get into business uh, and owning a business because they have control issues in the first place. and They don't want to work with any, for anyone else. Yeah. So, you know, you bring that same <laughs> mindset into your own business and, you know, you have to eventually let it up. But it's hard. It's hard when it's your baby to say, oh, I know if I hand this to someone else, it's not going to be done. Um, you know, the way I would do it and they're not going to do it the way that we would do it. But my rule has always been, if they can do it 80% as well as I can, then I need to let them do that. And, um, you know, that's been a huge realization for me when I just literally use that barometer. I say to myself, well, could this person do it in theory, 80% as well as I can. And if they can, I let them do it. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's it. But it's, it's something that's taken many years to develop that kind of self-awareness. Um, because when you're first looking at it, handing anything off to anyone is scary, you know, especially if you've done it and you have a way that's working okay. A lot of times, you know, we say, well, why change anything? You know, it's working okay. Yeah, but good is the enemy of great. I mean, there's, there's many times where we say, well, this works okay, but what if we had something that worked just 20% better? How much more would we get done? How much more would we make? How many more jobs would we install if, you know, we just became that much better or freer. So, yeah, that's a great exercise for the listeners to go through is to write down, you know, if you're a small, you know, business owner, if you're a manager of a department or large business owner, I think it, it goes through, you know, hey, what is it only I can do? And, and go down through that exercise. What is it that I do well, but maybe someone else could do? And what are tasks I should definitely let other people do? Um, right. If they, Megan, if Megan shouldn't do books or payroll. Yeah. And I, and I spent years doing payroll at another company. The day I handed it off to someone else was the most freeing day ever. And it sounds very silly because I did it for so many years, but we get in this rhythm of just doing and doing and doing, and we forget the bigger picture. Yep. We're just trying to get through everyday tasks to keep the business running. And we forget to kind of look at it from a different perspective and say, okay, is this the best choice for my business as a whole? Or should I maybe be doing a different activity and I should hire someone else to, you know, quote unquote, pick up shirts. You know, I heard, I, I gather so much information from podcasts from other companies and leaders. This one was just a few months I left all weather seal and uh, all, I had all my marketing managers on it. And the gentleman said, hey, don't pick up shirts. What he meant was he was working with a client and the owner of the company said, I got to go. I got to go pick up shirts. And the consultant said, what do you mean you got to go pick up shirts? He says, well, I got to run across town. It's going to take me 45 minutes. I need to pick up shirts. I need to bring the shirts back. I need to bring them to the employees. And he said, don't you have someone on your team that can? Yeah, the most general shirts? task ever. <laughs> can you go 
Right. And so as long as you have a driver's license, you can do this task. (laughs) Exactly. And so many times, you know, we would look at each other and say, what are you doing? Don't go pick up shirts. That doesn't make sense. It's not a good idea for you to be spending your time running across town to give someone a check and and pick up a box and drive it back. I mean, couldn't you be doing different things during that time? Yeah. But don't you think at the, like the heart, the root of that problem is making you feel busy and accomplished that you can check another task off that, Hey, I couldn't do this because I had to spend 45 minutes doing this, but I did that. And now look at, I have these shirts for my employees as opposed to what were you going to do with that 45 minutes if you were in your office or in the field with your team or, you know, absolutely. Well, and that's, and that's one of the big things in our industry that People always think busy equals productive, and it's not necessarily the case. I mean, I, I worked with someone for years that would run around like a chicken with their head cut off, and it, they felt so busy all the time. And then in the meantime, when you really look at the grand scheme of things, they were accomplishing nothing. But it feels like they're doing something. You know, I'm going to pick up shirts. I'm going here. I'm doing this. I'm going here. But how many? how much more could we get done if we just sort of stepped back from that for a moment? And said, you know, wow, I'm really having a, an ego check problem, you know, but it's, it's very hard to get anyone. It took me many years to really come to that conclusion on my own about my own, you know, business, because there was times where I would get in that same mode of just doing things. And then at the end of the day, we really didn't accomplish much. So, yeah, I think I think that's really great self-awareness, what you just brought up. And I just I wonder how many people can really, you know, raise their hand. Uh, <laughs> and say, hey, that's me too, because I think we all have it, but it's hard to admit it sometimes. Yeah, it starts with self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And you brought up a name a little while back of a, of a coach that uh, both you and I had had, Matt De La Cruz. And for new listeners to the podcast, if you go back a bunch of podcasts uh, uh, in our library, Matt was on one of the podcasts talking about leadership and really developing to become your best self and the best leader you can be. Definitely a worthwhile listen. Uh, but to move forward, uh, Megan, what are uh, maybe some points that you would give to that small company, uh, you know, one, two million dollar company to make sure, or even a brand new startup, uh, to make sure the basic foundations are there to build marketing and lead generation off of? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of things, but there's some basics I found some companies just don't understand. So um, one of the things that, as you, again, know, um, you know, in our industry and in life in general right now, internet, online presence, reviews, that is one of the biggest things that is so important. You know, uh, it, and many of, a lot of that comes from years ago when there was no internet and we were selling, you know, vinyl siding and windows in the 80s. Um, you know, if you did a bad job for someone, it took many, many years for word of mouth to get around that you don't take good care of your customers. Uh, and today in 2021, um, you don't even have to go out and see someone and work on their house and you can get a bad review. You can literally be driving down the road and something flies out of your truck on accident. And two minutes later, you have a bad review online. And so, and so positive reviews are so important because negative ones are so easy to get for no reason. And sometimes there is a good reason you get a bad review. Sometimes it's just because people don't have anything to do and, you know, you, they, you just caught them on the wrong day and you didn't show up for their appointment and, you know, you missed them or made a mistake and they, you end up getting a, a bad review. So my point is, is we have to be very proactive with positive reviews 
knowing that we are going to get some negative ones, even if we do our best to please our customers the best that we can. So, um, you know, a lot of companies I find don't think outside the box when it comes to reviews and gathering reviews. You know, it's very important to gather reviews from all of your jobs, of course, that you install, but you can also gather reviews in a lot of different aspects that people sometimes don't even think of. Um, it doesn't, a review doesn't have to say this company specifically installed this on my home. This review could say, hey, I had this person out to my house to give a free quote and we haven't we haven't bought from them or anything, but the experience was really great. It could say something like, um, you know, uh, this is a great company to work for. They're honest, they're professional, they're, they're truthful with their business practices. You know, anybody that's had any sort of professional experience with you could leave you a good review. So, I mean, you, you were talking, if you've ever done any side work for, for friends and neighbors on their house, God knows when we're small, and we're starting out, we're trying to get business any way we can. And so, Anytime you're able to do something for someone at a reduced cost and then get a review as a result, that's a great way to get some reviews. Um, you know, if you do a lot of uh, good work for the community, a lot of times these people in the community that you, you know, give back to will be happy to go on and, and sing your praises uh, to the online world. That's an important thing. Your vendors that you work with, you know, if you deal with manufacturers, big box stores, whatever it might be, you have a dedicated person you deal with on a daily basis normally. That person could say, hey, I have really great interactions with such and such company. Um, you know, we always have great communication and, and they take good care of their customers. Those type of reviews are, are honest and truthful. Um, and that's what we really want. We want to have real reviews that people can look at and say, wow, this company does a great job in, in many different areas. Could be employees. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can get reviews if you think outside of the box. Yeah, absolutely. And I the problem I feel is a lot of smaller companies and even smaller companies that have turned into bigger companies, uh, you know, cause we really on the consulting side coach a lot about reviews and we even have, you know, our brand ambassador program, which is focused on uh, getting reviews among a lot of other things, uh, additional business mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, it, it amazes me with some companies. I mean, you can tell right away the companies that put a focus on getting reviews, you know, by what it looks like. And I, I believe I asked the question at LeadCon, uh, you know, to the hundred and some companies that were there of, you know, hey, who here has at least a hundred reviews? You know, okay. And, mm -hmm. you know, a few hands went up, all right, 200, 300. And then, you know, we got down, there was just a couple that, you know, that had the multiple hundred reviews. Um, and Tony and I have talked before that, you know, if you're starting a new business, you could almost be at 50 reviews your first day doing exactly what you just talked about, Megan. It's family, friends, it's your employees, uh, you know, your employees, family, friends, because if you're small, you probably don't have many employees. And, mm -hmm. you know, who do they know, right? Their circle of influence, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that way. Uh, and again, don't lie. Don't say, hey, the, you know, they did windows on my house if they didn't do windows on your house. Uh, yep. But just to say, hey, this is a great company. These are stand up people. They work hard. They bring a great value, um, you know, and your suppliers, all of that stuff that basically overnight you get get to 50 reviews real, real quick. And then, of course, once you actually start selling jobs and installing jobs, you should have some type of process in place to, you know, go back to that existing customer and, and make sure they're leaving a review for you, uh, you know, that way. Absolutely. So that's a big one. A couple other ones I find that small contractors miss is you have to claim your Google business listing. 
I mean, if you want to gain reviews on Google, if you want to be seen by the largest search engine on earth, um, you have to claim that listing. It's important for a multitude of reasons, but it's for whatever reason, people just know if no one tells you that they just, I think everyone just assumes everyone knows you should have your Google business listing. Some people don't even know what one is. So, you know, it's important to know um, a little bit about some of these search engines. You don't have to be an SEO or a pay-per-click master. There's plenty of great professionals out there that already have the knowledge that can help you with that. But in the very beginning, the basics, you have to claim your Google business listing. You need social media presence, um, not just Facebook. You also need Instagram and Nextdoor and you need Thumbtack. I mean, there's, there's a million of them that are sort of bridging this gap between social media and also home remodeling services. There's a few of them that are that are kind of teetering, HomeAdvisor being one of them also, you know, they, they have lead generation, but their site is also used as a, a tool for a customer to search for average prices on things, to find a contractor they feel like they can trust. Um, you know, so even if, even if you don't advertise with HomeAdvisor, you can still have a page on HomeAdvisor to show that you are a legit business and that they sign off on the fact that you indeed have, you know, been through the checks and balances. Awesome. I, I think those are a couple of great points uh, for that mm -hmm. new or that small business. Um, I know one of the first things, you know, when a client calls us or, or sends in, uh, you know, for some follow-up information on whatever program it may be, the very first thing I do is Google them and, and see where they're at with that stuff. Do they have to Google my business? Do they have, uh, you know, reviews? Where are they at? And kind of do a little report card right then and there because just about anything else they're going to do past that, Mm -hmm. Depends. So great. You know, oh, we want to start canvassing. Okay. You have zero reviews. No one knows who you are and you're going to put some canvassers out or, or let's say maybe usually when they don't have many reviews, it's usually not good ones that they do have. Correct. Uh, and so now you're going to put a canvassing team, spend all this money for, you know, someone to come up and introduce yourself to a potential uh, client. And then that person, the guy leaves the door from canvassing is going to hop online and Google your business. Mm -hmm. And what they see is going to make all the difference at whether or not that lead happens and the possibility of getting it demoed and sold when they go ahead and look online. So that that's the first place you got to start. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. It's yeah. And it's really, if they find nothing about you, I mean, what do you think that tells the consumer? Yeah. Who are it these people? Who are these people? Correct. And, you know, you, you've probably seen this, you know, I've shared some of this with our uh, inner, inner circle and our consulting team, but nonstop on social media groups right now are pictures of ring doorbell camera footage of door to door people standing on people's porch. And the first thing they ask is, does anybody know who this guy is? He says he's from this company. Oh, that's not really what that company's called. It's called this. Oh, well, I thought it was spelled this way. And if they can't find who you are quickly and they immediately assume that it's bad, it, absolutely. The customer will assume immediately if they don't know who you are, that it's negative, that it's bad. So if they go online and can't find your presence pretty quickly, they think you're a scam artist and all of a sudden the police show up and your entire canvassing day is shot out the window. And that happens, as you know, often if we don't have canvassing set up right to work with Google and everything else, you end up in a really, you're ending up, not only are you not getting leads, but you're ending up wasting money. So you're actually in the negative. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of ways to look at that. That's exact. I mean, it happens day in and day out. 
consumers, especially since COVID, are very weird when people show up to their home unless you are well-known. You know, you have a, a yellow vest on, you have a lanyard ID badge, you have a company's logo on your shirt. Those things help build that credibility. So that plus being able to see you have a nice website and a Facebook page, customers starts to have more trust in the fact that you're a legit business. Yeah. And you, and you brought up a couple of uh, things that I want to make an extra point on. The simple things like when Cam is seen having the green safety vest, right? Just that little point. It's something so simple. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, literally you can get some inexpensive, yeah, three bucks. Nice ones are 20 bucks. Yep. So we're not talking a lot of money here and it's not something you have to buy every day. You know, they last for weeks and months. Uh, but it's those small, simple little things that I think run true, whether you're small or you're large, that it's so easy to do, but so many times people don't do it because it's one little extra step or it's one little thing. I can't tell you how many times we consult with somebody, we show them the way, the process, part of that being the green safety vest. And then we go back out in three, four, five, six months because they're like, hey, we had a little dip in numbers. We'd like to you know, have you come out and see what's going on. And you get out there and, yep, they're wearing a, a, you know, a baseball cap that's not company branded. They quit wearing the green safety vest. Half of them don't, aren't wearing their badge. And nothing else other than it can be that simple, those very simple little things but it takes someone to lead and manage that on a daily basis to make sure that it's happening. Well, and I think it boils down to the same thing we see in anything, which is the telltale sign of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency, you know? Yeah, and huge. it's not, it's not what we do. It's what we do consistently. That makes a difference. Everyone can do canvassing for a day. Everyone could do canvassing for probably a week if they tried hard enough, but it's what you do consistently that creates either a program or not a program. You know, do you have a canvassing program or do you just have a couple guys that go out and knock doors on occasion? Because those are two different things. And it, that's an important piece to remember. You know, when when you change something in a system that's proven to work, you can only decrease your results. Right. So it's that's that's a really very important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And uh, last question here is we're kind of winding down uh, in time before we get into power's powerful points is pros and cons to each that small business all the way up to that large business? What are some of the different pros and cons when it comes to marketing and lead generation that uh, each have? Well, the nice thing about it when you're small, the pros of the, of the lead generation side are, first of all, you can control everything because you, you can have a hand on everything. So you know how many leads are coming in daily. You know how many appointments are on the board. When you get in a larger organization and you're the owner, those are not metrics that you usually are going to be looking at every single day. So you are relying on other people to, of course, as we talked about earlier, to delegate to them to handle it. But you do get a, a real clear picture when you're small because you can have a hand in all of it yourself. Now, the con of that is you have a hand in all of it yourself. So <laughs> it's the same thing as the pro and the con. Um, and that is that you have many other things you probably could be doing, but marketing you know, has to be on the top of that list. Um, so it's, that's one of the biggest ones. Another, another big one when you're small is, man, you get to change people's lives and, and you get to see it in a very big way. 
You know, you get to um, shake the hands of the customer. You get to hear how excited they are in their voice at the end of the install because you personally are probably going to swing by and see it when you're still small. Um, when you're bigger, you're relying on your team to take care of that for you. So you don't always see the day-to-day joy that you bring to people's lives. And so sometimes that can be taxing to when you're at the top of a company and pretty much you're the firefighter, you know, all the negative stuff gets to you. The rest of it's taken care of by your team. Um, so I'd say that's a big reward that you get when you're smaller, you know, um, in terms of when you're larger, I mean, you affect a lot of people's lives sort of, you know, secondhand, your people are now pouring in your, your company is more of a training organization and that's a pro. I mean, you get to affect a lot of people's lives that way too, but you aren't directly in the midst of the day-to-day operations. And some owners really like to be in the day-to-day operations and some don't. So you know, I guess it really depends on your view in terms of that. Um, uh, one other big pro um, is, you know, you're not having to worry about massive fails. If you spend a hundred bucks on a, on a Facebook ad and it flops, you're out a hundred bucks. You know, if you spend a million dollars in TV ads in a year and it flops, it's a little bigger Ouch. deal, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you, you can play around a little bit more when you're smaller Because, you know, if you play around at a small level and you find success, you can then duplicate that. So there's always there's always that side of the coin as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, I always like the analogy, uh, you know, with myself being in the Navy, that when you're in that that small little ship, you're you're quick, you're agile, you can, Mm -hmm. you know, you can easily turn and do something else Uh, when you're the aircraft carrier you know, not so easy to turn and stop and, and go in a different direction. And that's a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of weight in a boat to get it to go where you want it to go. Uh, yes. however, when you're big, some of those failures don't impact you at all. It's like almost Correct. that too big to fail. You just keep going and keep going and keep going, which also mm-hmm. ultimately breeds those inefficiencies and all, you know, can get you into big trouble if it doesn't get looked at and fixed soon enough. Uh, whereas I think you feel those failures a little quicker, uh, you know, when you're that small business, um, and, and trying to get up and going, but you can easily, mm-hmm. it's easy for you to switch doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. That's uh, kind of bringing us to the end of the show here, Megan, a lot of great points, uh, whether you're big or small, uh, in this episode for the listeners. Uh, last thing being power's powerful point. What powerful point do you have for the listeners today? Uh, your customer experience must always be more valuable than the price you're asking. All right. I love that point. Can you go into it just a little bit deeper? Yeah. 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 You know, most of the people that I work with and you work with, they aren't going to be the cheapest price. And one of the things to remember is that you don't have to be, but you have to have a differentiator. There has to be an amount of value assigned to what you're offering the customer. And the customer has to see the perceived value as higher than the price you're asking for the product. And um, often, you know, it's, it's, it's seen in our industry as, oh, well, I'm going to lose out to my competitor who charges a much cheaper price. And, you know, that doesn't have to be how it goes. You can charge a premium price, but you have to deliver a premium and that starts from the very tip of the spear, which is lead generation and marketing. Yes, exactly. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Megan, uh, on the show. Really appreciate it uh, having you on now for your second time. 
Um, and this is, you know, the first of many podcasts coming up featuring women in our industry. So again, I thank you so much for your time and I look forward to probably having you on the show again. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you for listening to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. For a free consultation on how Tony Hody Training and Consulting can assist with your home remodeling business, please visit TonyHody.com. That's T-O-N-Y-H-O-T-Y.com. Thank you for listening.